Priests and Exiles. That's our series for the next four weeks. And we're going to do a study, an in-depth study on 1 Peter 2 that speaks about this. Um, now, the subline for this message, as you will see on the design, is proclaim His excellencies. I think yesterday Facebook was undone by proclaiming the excellencies of Rassi and his team, right? But a year ago, it wasn't the case because there weren't any excellencies to proclaim. But unlike the Springboks, the kingdom of God is always excellent, it's always perfect, and it's always worthwhile proclaiming. And we've got to understand something, that proclaiming is a verb. It's a do word. You've got to actually do it. You've got to use your vocal cords and your mouth and say the excellencies of God to the people around us. That's what God has called us to do, to proclaim it. To go out, how will anyone get saved unless they hear? How will they hear unless anyone is sent? We've got to go and preach the excellencies of God to our world today. So keep that in mind in everything that we share, that it's our responsibility as a church to proclaim His excellencies. You are here for this very reason. You exist for the very reason to proclaim the glory and the excellencies of God to this world. You are a result of someone proclaiming His excellencies to you once before. Whether you grew up in a, in, a, in a home where your parents shared this with you, there must have been someone before them who proclaimed the excellencies of God to them, right? Maybe you're here because someone reached out to you and said, hey, let me tell you about this excellent God and this excellent kingdom that you can be a part of. Now, our goal this morning is twofold. Our first goal is to show us from Scripture that each one of us is called and chosen to, minister, to be a minister of Jesus Christ. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are called and chosen to be a minister of Jesus Christ. Great. Secondly, secondly, our goal this morning is how do we go about in a secular world with this sacred calling? Because the world we live in is, is anything but that. I just shared the testimonies of how in a post-Christian environment in Europe, proclaiming the excellences of Jesus, in my opinion, has been much better received than what I anticipated. And this all starts in 1 Peter 1 verse 1. Peter writes a circular letter to the churches of Asia and beyond. It starts off in the first verse and he says, to those who are elect exiles. It's a strong word, right? Sounds a little bit like, like a Highlander or what's the other one, Braveheart, Dave and Lindy is currently still in Scotland, he's running around like Mel Gibson on the Scottish hills, <laughs> shouting, I can just imagine him actually doing that, something Dave would do. But you, you are elect exiles, he, he writes to the church, and he, he writes a, a circular letter that needs to be distributed to the church and to the Gentile church who once were not the people of God, but through the gospel being spread, has become the people of God. There's been a contention about who exactly he wrote this for. Did he write it to the Jewish people because of some of the language that he uses and says, you are a chosen people? But in fact, when you see the opening line, he says, no, I write it to the dispersion of the churches in Asia, in Asia Minor, who has now been accepted into the family of Jesus as exiles in this world. He was writing it in the Roman environment, 
where the Roman soldiers and the Roman Empire was ruling with a strong, heavy hand. And he says, you live in this world, and he called it Babylon. You live in this terrible place. You are exiles. You weren't made for you. You were made for something else. But then he becomes very practical, and he teaches us and the church there, how do we live as exiles in this world today? So let's read together 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 17. And when I read this, this is Peter writing to the church, the global church, to each one of us today. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would help us understand what it is that you require of us as ministers of your gospel in our world. I pray that you would speak to every heart through the power of your spirit and that your word would be what we leave here with today and that we would have an encounter with you as we study it together. In Jesus' name, amen. You are part of a new family and a new identity of believers in Jesus Christ. And I wanna say this statement, and I want you to take a picture of it if you've got your phone or write it down. We, that's all of us, are a chosen, royal, holy priesthood of believers belonging to the King of Kings in His service to proclaim His kingdom. Isn't that powerful? Let's say that together. We are a chosen, royal, holy priesthood of believers belonging to the King of Kings in His service to proclaim His kingdom. That's what this is all about, the priesthood of the believers. That each one of us belong to Christ, the King of Kings, and now we stand in service of Him. Now, I could assume this morning that you understand what is meant by the word priest, but I'd rather not, and it's impossible in a Sunday morning to explain to you the full intricacies of being a priest, but let me just simply say this. The priests in the Bible, in the Old Testament, simply did two things. They served God, and they served the people with the message of God and, and the word of God, and that's exactly what we're about. We believe that we are here to love God, love people, and reach the world. So what do priests do? We serve God, and we serve others. And in Exodus 19, God speaks to his nation, Israel. And he says to them, and you shall to be to me a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. And then if you read the Bible correctly, chronologically, we see later on in Deuteronomy 5 verse 28, that the Israel then respond to God and say, God, we're not sure if we can be your priest. Why don't you use Moses? And then we see that God actually agrees. And he says, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. You guys aren't just there yet. And he, and he hits pause on this promise saying that you will be a holy priesthood and a holy nation. And then through Jesus being the high priest who makes a way for us and the mercy of God being received, he touches the pause button again and he presses play and he says, now today my church is this priesthood of believers and a nation that I've chosen to proclaim my excellencies into the world. And that's, the, that's how we've got to understand the fullness of the word. We can't read these things separate. God's intent from the beginning was to have people on this earth, in this world, ministering to him, serving him, ministering to others, serving others. I don't know about you, but you might be, this is me rather, let me tell my story. I might be driving at exactly the right speed, exactly the right place with all the regulations, and the moment I see a speed cop, I love that Afrikaans word, a speed cop, <laughs> then suddenly I feel like I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> Anyone agrees with that? Because there's just something about the presence of the blue lights that comes around or that sound or seeing them up front or you see the speed trap and you, you're a law-abiding citizen, but you just, okay, wait a minute. And you just check everything, seatbelts, children, seatbelts, everything's done, okay, 100 kilometers an hour, all good. And then you smile and you still feel he's going to pull you off. I'll never forget the story when Helena and I were dating in our second year. I was very excited to get back from Pretoria down to the Cape to see her. And, um, but I was a law-abiding citizen, and just before Beaufort West, coming down from Pretoria on the N1, maybe some of you have had the same experience as me. Two kilometers outside town, there's a little, there's a little speed corp housey. <laughs> I used all my English in Ireland, so just bear with me today, okay? And... I was literally listening to worship music and singing my lungs out like this morning, not paying too much attention. And in my mind and my eyes, town was still there. But a couple of kilometers before town, I was passing the speed cops in a 60 zone at 120 kilometers an hour. <laughs> so the next moment, the blue lights come up and I'm like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Honestly, I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't pay much attention. I was worshiping Jesus. And... Um, Go down, down goes the window, and Constable Janssen is there, and he says, looks me in the eye and says, yes, sir, um, this is what happened, and I'm expected by law to lock you up. And in a moment, I'm like, oh, goodness, now how's this going to go down? Calling Eliana from the Tuki and saying, hey, I doubled up on the speed limit. I'm not going to see you anytime soon. And then I, he, he starts walking around the car, and he checks it out, and kicks the tires, and you know the whole thing, and your heart beats at 240 kilometers an hour, and you're just like, Lord Jesus, I'm going to get out of this one, and then the next moment, he looks into the car, and he says, are you a student? I'm like, yes, I am. He says, why did you drive so fast? I'm like, honestly, the town's up there. I was singing loud. Um, I didn't pay much attention, and I'm sorry, and he said, okay, today I'll let you go. Didn't even give me a ticket, and I think it's because I was worshiping Jesus, right? But I'm telling, I'm telling you all this to explain to you that the kind of weightiness that happens when you see a speed cop. 
so much more it should be when we, who are backed by a perfect king and his perfect kingdom, walk into situations, scenarios, and people's lives, that they need to feel that weightiness. And for a moment think, wow, have I got it all together? And then you could say, you know what, you don't, neither do I, but there's a Jesus who wants to bind things together. So let's talk about this, and I'm going to proclaim his excellencies to you, not mine, not how good I am, how great he is. That's what God has called us to do. And it's as simple as that. I'm praying that this morning you have a revelation again of that royalty that you, that you carry. That there's a new identity in this new kingdom, this new family of God that is backing you. You're wearing the signet ring of the King of Kings, whose kingdom is constantly always growing and expanding and more beautiful than ever. The more we see it and look at it, the more we change. There's no shadow of doubt and change in God. He is exactly the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's go out and proclaim His excellencies to this world. Now this morning, it's important that we talk about an issue that we, especially as South Africans, battle with. And it's the tension between sacred and secular. And what happens is we live in dualism. We find ourselves maybe, and this is by no means a judgmental statement, just looking at culture. We find ourselves maybe in the week getting angry at work or saying stuff because we've come out of a culture where we say stuff and some words are accepted or we find ourselves just letting a little bit of relaxation slip in when we're at the wedding or at that braai and then we feel like, you know what, we've been quite secular tonight. We've just, but tomorrow morning going back to church and back to Jesus so we'll be sacred again. Nowhere in the Bible does God divide these two. In fact, he reminds us through the, this letter that you are in this secular world. And you're going to remain here until one or two things happen. I return and I come and take you or you pass away. And we in our culture try and, and match these two things up. Now I'm in a, in a secular mindset because I'm at work and there's stuff to do or there, there's a difficult situ situation. And now when I'm at church, oh, I can breathe again because I'm holy. He says you as a priesthood of believers are called in this secular world to proclaim the excellencies of God before all men. And we can't live in this dualistic environment. That's one of the things that I love about the culture in India. You would walk into a, a church service and you would think you're in a Hindu service because they look Hindu, smell Hindu, sound Hindu, wearing Hindu clothes. It's their culture. They don't say now that we've met Jesus, we've got to get rid of everything that we as Indian people are. They still love their culture deeply. And sometimes we find out that tension and we expect, we think that God expects of us to not go to the bride, to not go to work, to rather stay away and abstain. Yes, abstain from the sin within yourself, but embrace those who are around you and still has to meet Jesus because you are called to proclaim his excellencies to those people. We can't live in this. And, and what the world has done, and the enemy has been so strategic, he brings a divide. He brings that divide in culture. He brings that divide in race. So the moment we are different races together, we, we think we've got to act differently. Just act with kingdom culture wherever you go. Yeah. Kingdom culture is the love of Jesus. 
Kingdom culture is reconciliation. Kingdom culture is the mercy of God running through us as it is upon us. Kingdom culture is declaring His excellencies wherever we go. So I hope this morning that I can help you just cross that bridge like, am I being unholy now when I spend some time here or, or, or speak to these people? Or Friday night and Sunday morning is exactly the same to God. He's outside of time. He doesn't look at you and say, mm, James, yeah, it's Sunday morning. Yeah, so you better be good now. But uh, you know what? When a Friday comes, you can relax a little. <laughs> Have you treated God like that sometimes? You see, he's constantly always the same. And he's saying, you as priests of my kingdom are constantly always representing my kingdom. So therefore, wherever we go, constantly, all the time, every scenario, every situation, we've got to proclaim his excellencies. And these two worlds has got to start coming together for us. Jesus modeled it so beautifully. He hung out with the tax collectors. Now, what does tax collector mean? We don't understand if, unless we study the culture. Tax collectors in that day and age were said by the government, we want you to give us five rand for every person that enters the city, as an example. But then they had the liberty to add however much money they want on top of it. So you would come through the gate that I'm looking at, and I'm like, you actually just owe me five rand, but I'm going to charge you 55. I'm going to put the rest in my back pocket. Jesus went to those guys, and he brought his kingdom and his kingdom culture into that environment. So the last thing that we as church should do is remove ourselves from the secular world. In fact, we should embrace it more than ever before because we are sure of what we represent. We are sure of the identity that we have as priests of God. So there shouldn't even be a shadow of doubt that we can walk into those places and say, I am bringing the kingdom. And like a speed corp, the people will feel the weightiness of Jesus inside of us. What I love about this letter, it's extremely practical. Go read 1 Peter, the entire letter. He says, okay, I want you to be priests of God, but this is how you do it. And he goes through a whole lot of things, but then he says four things at the end. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor, the institutions that we have in this world. So let me quickly go through that. First of all, how are we priests? Sacred priests unto Jesus in a secular environment it starts with honoring all people. That's a big word, honor. It's a word that's often misused. But studying the original word here in this context, I love this. It says to put the right value or price on something. So here's the key. Every time you see someone, are you valuing them with the value of Jesus? With the eyes of Jesus upon them? Or are you letting your your past define how you see them. He says, every single person you see, you've got to honor with that same value that I honored you. It's because of the, the way that I valued you as an individual that you accepted my mercy. Now you therefore go into every circumstance and look at all of these people, not with judgment, but with a high price value that you would give your life for them. What would it look like if all of us, every single time we're in that situation where it's awkward and not nice and stuff goes down and we feel defiled by the stuff around us, we just look at all those people with the love of Jesus and the value of life that he sees in them. And out of that, we start proclaiming his excellencies. Not that you've got to stop your nonsense and get right now, 
You know that there's a God and there's a family that you could be part of? And he's inviting you. Let me tell you my story. This is how he changed me upside down. The message version says it like this. Friends, this world is not your home. Let's just pause there. This world is not your home. You are exiles, aliens, sojourners, passing through temporary residence. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Live an exemplary life among the natives, the unbelievers, so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. See, the priesthood of believers are called to live life in such a way that the natives and the unbelievers just look at us and all that prejudice like, ah, the Christians, I don't even want to hear. You see, intimidation has been the enemy's plan all along. Who of you feel intimidated to share Jesus with someone? Honestly, I'm putting up my hand because that's me. Believe me, when you stand in a strange city in the middle of nowhere and you see all these people with, who think they're the devil, you get intimidated in your human nature. But Peter says, don't. This is not your home. Think about the eternity. And then go and just live your life in such a way that they too can at the end, when I return, be worshipers of me and step with me into eternity. So therefore, we can't break these two worlds apart. We can't be secular at times and sacred. We've got to understand that we live sacred lives within the secular world. Secondly, I want to say this. He takes it up a notch. Now, you've got to see the value of every person, but then when it comes to the Christians, the community, you've got to exercise love. So value every person, but deeply agape love the brotherhood. That's us. That's the church. Agape love is the God-type kind of love. It's non-conditional. If we want to be a priesthood that honors Jesus well, we've got to love each other non-conditionally. Doesn't matter what he or she has done or said, still going to love. Doesn't matter whether he or she has come to say sorry, still going to love. That's what agape love means. Before we could say we're sorry, he loved us. And that's the expectation on us as priests that amongst one another, we love each other with that kind of love. The enemy is great at bringing offense, right? It's the bait of Satan, according to John Bevere, if you've read that book. And he knows, you know what? You might live very honoring towards the unbelievers, but when it comes to believers, there's a little something there, and there's some offense and some stuff, and it keeps people away from the family of God. It takes people out of spiritual family and churches, sometimes for their whole life. We've got to love one another with an agape God kind non-conditional love every single time. It's impossible at times, honestly. I've been deeply hurt by people. But because of Jesus in me and me proclaiming the perfect king and the perfect kingdom, it is possible. It is possible. And the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He also said, by this they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So priests of God, of the kingdom of God, not only are we called to proclaim his excellencies to unbelievers, we've got to live it excellently here in this house and with the other churches in this community. 
I love, one of my favorite moments is when there's get together with other leaders in Somerset West. This morning I was passing Josh Jen and my heart was beaming with excitement seeing the young kids putting up their flags, getting ready to meet with Jesus at the Playhouse Theater. And as I was passing, I was praying, God blessed them today with an incredible service. May they understand that they are a priesthood, a body of believers proclaiming your excellencies in this city with us. And I was wondering, maybe they're preaching the same message. I'm like, well, I wonder what they would preach this morning. But do we love one another with an equal love? And we, we lay down our lives as we saw this New Testament church do. And Peter reminds them, says, now that you're part of this family, live like this family. Will you share everything and live open lives? But then he takes it up a notch and he raises the bar again. Honor and see the value of every human. Love the brotherhood. But when it comes to God, fear God. Not a word we'd like to use today, right? But when we understand the essence of it, this is what fearing God does to us. Listen to this. Malachi 4. But for those who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and they will go forth leaping like calves from a stall. Have you ever seen a calf leap from a stall? Wonderful. I'm glad for those. If you haven't, YouTube, calf leaping from stall. <laughs> Nothing can stop it. It just runs. It goes wild. It is crazy. It is a beautiful sight. And that's what the fear of God does. We think the fear of God limits us. In fact, it empowers us to be completely free, to run wild in the kingdom of God, and to express His fullness. Fear is not a negative thing when it's about God, because we understand that He's holy, that He's set apart, that He's different, that there's no secularity in Him, that He's completely sacred. He lives outside of time and space, but we can identify with Him because Jesus left all of that to be in exile with us in this world. And He lived a perfect life. So I love what G.K. Chesterton said about this. The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. I'm yet to meet a Jesus-loving, completely abandoned individual that's tasted everything in life that tells me that this life now is boring. If you find that person, bring him or her to me. It's a challenge. A deeply committed, Jesus-loving, abandoned, completely over to him. You see, when we understand the fear of God, we become free. The Bible says it's the beginning of wisdom. We get to live a life that is truly free. And he says that use your freedom not as a cover-up for evil, but as living servants of God. You were set free at the cross. Your sin has been dealt with. You've been given grace. You are now a new person. Now use it in service of God. Reverence, awe, and the fear of God is important. So practically, how do we live as priests? Not only do we ex proclaim His excellencies to the unbelieving world. Secondly, not only do we love each other deeply and non-conditionally. Thirdly, we live in a fear and awe of God. And then it goes around. It says, our spirit wages war against, against the flesh. God, I love you so much that I am going to say no to this and that. Because it's out of this love for you and out of this awe of you that I'm truly free and I can run wild like a calf leaping from a stall. What's the reason for this, all of this? What's the motive? And this is important. 
Peter says it in the letter. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it, but now you are drenched with it. I love this translation. It says all of this, live clean, live in honor to other people, live in submission to the authorities that I've given you. Don't go around bad-mouthing your government and your president. Pray for them, live in honor, say yes, be positive. Then walk in the fear of me because I have given you life and I've drenched you in my mercy. And what really hit me to bring this home to you this morning, I hope, is the story of St. Patrick in Ireland. We were blessed to go to the St. Patrick Museum and to see, to see his story and the impact his life has made. Now, let me just some disclosure. St. Patrick didn't wear green. He didn't hold a shamrock or a clover. Uh, neither did he have a bishop hat on his head. None of those things. It's the forming of the Catholic Church later in the medieval times that created this image of which is not probably the same to the way we see Jesus when we think about him, right? With the long hair and the white robe and the lamb and with the finger and none of that's true. That's not the image you should have in your mind when you see Jesus. One day when we see him, we'll see him for who he really is. That's church history that's kind of culminated images of what he looks like. And in the same way, St. Patrick to us today equals fireworks, Guinness, a good time, green clothing, and the world going crazy, right? But we were completely undone. And, and, and in light of all of this, I want you to hear his story. Now, remember what I just said. What's the reason for honoring other people, loving the brotherhood, and fearing God? It's the mercy of God. St. Patrick, at the age of 15 years, were cap captured by Roman, in the Roman government, Roman um, pirates that took him from Britain to Ireland. And he was in captivity as a slave for six years, age of 15, that's young. Started out in slavery. He messed up before, he speaks about his sinful life before. His grandfather was a, was a, a clergyman, a minister of the gospel. Maybe they didn't get the note, notice yet that we all clergymen and ministers of the gospel, but his, his grandfather was, and his dad taught him about God, but he didn't believe much, he was a teenager, and he did his stuff, until he got captured by, captured by these pirates and he was taken to Ireland. Now it tells us that at times, and this is him writing his confession, he would pray up to 100 times a day because he met God in his captivity. Up to 100 times a day, he would just cry out to heaven. After a while, he decided, okay, he's had enough of Ireland, he's gonna escape. So with the help of some, some uh, people who didn't believe in God, um, people who were practicing witchcraft and other things, he went to them, they had a boat, and he said, can you guys help me get back to Britain? And eventually they agreed, and they took him back to Britain, and he went back to his family after a long journey, hunger, shipwreck, the whole thing, and his family was glad to see him and welcomed him back, and he had a pretty good life back home in Britain. Until one night, the Lord appeared to him through a messenger and a vision. A man appeared to him with a scroll and a calling and said, will you go back to your place of captivity for me to share my message with the people of your captivity? Can you imagine that? All that pain. You've got to leave your family again, but this time you're going to volunteer for it. He could have said no. 
But then the story continues. He went back to Ireland, 400 AD, more or less. And for the first time, Irish history was recorded when he started sharing after that what God has done in Ireland. It was the first recorded history of Ireland was when St. Patrick went back to this nation. And here we had the privilege, 1,600 years later, to walk the streets of Ireland and really see how the church has done a whole lot of good amidst all the bad. Yes, we know the bad stories and how there was conflict, but at the same time, the gospel has spread. And out of that, it spread to the nation. American presidents came from there. The Titanic, out of Belfast. It's one of those nations that really has an impact in the world. Music, Van Morrison, I can name a whole lot of stuff. The song Amazing Grace was written in Ireland. So can you imagine, because one man said, I'm going to go back to my place of captivity and live like a priest. I'm going to now take this call of God to live before him. And this is what he said, and I took some extracts from his confession. My name is Patrick. I'm a sinner. I'm first of all a simple country person, a refugee and unlearned. I don't know how to provide for the future. Some of you might feel like that at times. Yes, God, I don't have much. He didn't have much going for him at all. But this I know for certain. What am I convinced of? That before I was brought low, I was like a stone lying deep in the mud. Then he who was powerful came and in his mercy pulled me out and lifted me and placed me on the very top of the wall. That is why I must shout aloud in return to the Lord for such great good deeds of his, here and now and forever. Once I was not a child of God, but today I am. Once I did not receive mercy, but now I'm drenched with it. So therefore I will proclaim his excellencies to the world. I will shout it out. That is why I cannot be silent, nor would it be good to do so, about such great blessing and such a gift that the Lord so kindly bestowed in the land of my captivity. Meeting God in his captivity. This is how we can repay such blessings. When our lives change and we come to know God, to praise and bear witness to his great wonders before every nation under heaven. Isn't that profound? And the question that we've got to ask ourselves before we talk about being a priest, are you still undone by the mercy of God, drenching your life? We stepped in and like a stone in the mud, picked you up and washed you clean and put you back onto the wall, firm again into the family of God, the household of believers, that you too can be part of this kingdom of priests that right in the beginning he had in plan. That's the call for each one of us. What hit me most about St. Patrick, and I want us to read this together, is what they call St. Patrick's breastplate. We were, as we walked in, it was on the stairs, it was on, a, it was on this rose-stained window. But, but when they thought about St. Patrick and they wrote a song about his life, which is a hymn that some of us might know, this is the life he lived. We went to his his burial place. It's amongst all these beautiful Celtic crosses with the thrills and quite large tombstones. He had a flat rock and he just said, Patrick. Because that's the humility he lived in. Unlearned, don't have much to give, but he met Jesus. And he knew that he has a kingdom backing him. 
so he can go even back to his captivity and share the gospel because there's a perfect king and a perfect kingdom backing him. But this is the breastplate of St. Patrick. And listen to this. If we can pray this and we can make this our prayer, we will be great priests in the household of God. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lay down, Christ when I sit down. Christ when I rise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Lord Jesus, that's our prayer as people this morning. That we would excellently proclaim your excellencies to this world. That every single person that sees us today, this week, would say, wow, Christ. That every single person that speaks of us by name would say, that person, that's, that's Jesus in that person. It's Christ. Lord, that we would see the effortless way in which you want us to proclaim your excellencies. It's not a hard work that we've got to go and find and, 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 and strive for because we have the whole of your kingdom and your perfect way backing us, Father, as we share your excellencies in this world. I pray, Lord, that this week we would find ourselves in secular circumstances where the sacredness of your kingdom would bring about change in people's lives. I pray, Lord, that we would be bold and not intimidated anymore. Lord, I come against the spirit of intimidation in our lives that withholds us from proclaiming your excellencies, that we would be a people like St. Patrick who isn't even scared of captivity because we have a fire, and that is the mercy that we received, and we cannot be quiet. We will share, and we will have to share with everyone we meet. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would feel this fire. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the comforter, the guide, the one who leads us and empowers us. And I pray, Lord, that we would truly be a household of believers that understands that this is not our home. And there's a whole lot of people out there that's not sure where their eternal home would be. But you've called us as sojourners to walk through this earth to proclaim your excellencies. And we say, God, we are ready to be priests in your household. We all ready to be ministers of God. And if you, if you wanna say that this morning, would you just stand up with me? Say, yes, Pia, I agree with that. I really wanna live like this. <clears throat> I'm gonna read this prayer again. And as I read it, just in your heart, just say this to God this morning. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.